Hey, all you nautical nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back to You're Gonna Die Out There. This is Megan. And Jen. And we're here bringing you weird and wild stories of man versus nature, or nature versus man, I guess. Jen will be telling our story today. That's right. Any corrections from last week's story, Megan? I don't think so. That was a super sad story. I hope you all... I'm still scarred for life. Yeah. Listening to it. I feel like I should have invested in Kleenex prior just, to telling that story. Let's just all virtually hug an elephant. Virtually. Yeah, don't touch them. Yeah, they'll stomp they'll you. They'll trample you. They'll trample you to <laughs> death and crush all your bones. And it'll be totally justified. Yeah, just know that probably you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> just okay. kidding. Not you. Those other guys. All right. So I'm going to bring a little science news into our, to our brains now, our brains now. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, this comes from an article in The Guardian, mm-hmm. and it is entitled, Gorillas Beat Their Chests to Size Each Other Up, Researchers Say. So you know, like when you see like King Kong and he's like beating his chest, right? right? And you're like, oh, he's just being like a dude. He's just, yeah, he's showing like, off. He's all like, look, I beat my chest. Uh, I'm so hardcore. Yeah, that's super. Yeah. Hardcore. Yes. So these researchers, Edward Wright, he I guess he's working with the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Germany. Sweet. They did a study of mountain gorillas, adult male, six, sorry, six adult male mountain gorillas in the Volcanoes National Park in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And they kind of watched with cameras. And then they did recordings of these uh, 36 different chest beating episodes. <laughs> that sounds so random. Man, researchers. Researchers. Yeah. This was between 2015 and 2016. And they looked at the recordings and it turns out what's really happening is that when the gorillas beat their chest, just like a timpani, you know, those like giant drums in orchestra. Mm -hmm. Is that Uh, what they're called? Timpani. Yeah, yeah. You're such a band geek. You know. This one time at band camp. Listen. Okay, go. (laughs) You know how like if there's a smaller one, it'll make like a more tenor sound like yes. higher sound and bigger it makes lower sound so when they're beating their chest they're actually telling other gorillas like hey i'm huge this is don't my, mess with me this is my girth <clears throat> yeah so it's this like how big i am maybe they're like beating their chest across from each other some distance and like there's a smaller gorilla and he's like yeah i'm beating my chest you know look how big i am and the bigger gorilla is like yeah well whatever buddy and, and he's like small like, oh, one, shoot i'm not going over there yeah the that small one's huge. like listen i'm good you know what i'm good i'm, I'm good. just gonna stay over here avoid that conflict yeah smart so cool yeah that's it's cool i mean it's cool they just figured that out yeah but you just made me think of those now i'm thinking of the drums i know it's cool about the gorillas yeah, we is, love yeah, gorillas yeah, yeah. but it made me think of that there's that video where the guy all he, he has like one job mm-hmm. was just like to hit you know they have like <laughs> the drum on either side it's like boom, gong. Oh, the bass drum yeah, yeah the bass drum and he like his thing like flung and hit somebody in the head do you remember that one i <laughs> know yeah it's like i could see it though yeah i remember okay because i was i was in band you were right i went to many band camps so in band <sighs> super nerd listen listen john i was a john philip Sousa award winner that's like a really big deal. Yeah. I have like a I have like a little tiny statue and everything on marble. That's, that is cool. Yeah. My niece was in band and she mm-hmm. loved it. And I think it's a really, 
it's great because it gets kids involved in music mm-hmm. and then they, they're with their other friends and they learn all kinds of cool stuff. I think I was just kidding. It's a fun dating pool too. Everyone oh, really? dates each other. Oh yeah. It's oh, like a thing. That is interesting. All you band nerds out there are like, yeah, it's a thing. They know. They know. They know what's up. And I really <laughs> like it when there's bands at games that they dance like while they're doing it. Yeah. It's so, so it gets you going. Like right? it's so fun. I, I went to a predominantly white school in Georgia and they, they're like predominantly black schools also in Georgia. It's not segregated, but it is still kind of it's segregated. Georgia. It's Georgia. Well, we love you, Georgia, but still. But still. I We would go to band competitions and there would be you know like majority black bands that would come there and they do way more of that style of like high knee marching and dancing and it's like so They're much more fun way more fun yeah and then yeah. we are there we are like just rolling our feet like <laughs> super nerds super nerdy. god yeah but there would be the people who played cymbals i had a really good friend and she played cymbals leslie and it was like they would only it's like they would march around with the cymbals kind of tucked underneath their armpits Mm-hmm. For like most of the time, and then there would be like one or two times where like ting ting, you know, and then yeah. that right back in the armpits, and you're like, God, that sucks. I was with like I was never in that, and the girls that had like the ribbons or whatever, oh yeah, run like around the, out there, and the then the cheerleaders, and, and yeah, I was with the theater kids, like smoking cigarettes in the back. I feel you being like, feel my pain. <laughs> <laughs> Why would we be in anything organized? <sighs> I need to express myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that's a cool story. I, we are, there's going to be, I think I'm going to do it because I like doing the apes, not doing the apes. (laughs) Whoa, Jen. (laughs) I mean, come on. Listen, we do not condone. No, we don't condone that kind of stuff around here. No, telling stories, which actually on the IFL science, which we talked about in the last episode, which Mm -hmm. if you don't follow them, you should because their stories are hilarious but they had one story and i'm just kind of doing this from memory so it's not going to be but go into their site and you can see they had this story that was super disturbing oh about this uh, was he someone's gonna be fact checking you jen yeah (laughs) i can't remember where he was from if he was a german scientist or else a russian scientist i god i can't remember but he was doing experiments Mm -hmm. to try to get to try to get a chimpanzee human offspring nope and it's so disturbing that's super- he he impregnated women some women in africa without their consent shut the fuck with up. chimpanzee sperm no yep 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 and then he went somewhere else and i somehow he finagled some women other women to, i don't know if they did consent to it really or they knew but um it never worked well yeah but once people found out what he was doing he mm-hmm. got like shut down real quick that's crazy but that this was like in 18 late 1800s early 1900s yeah you can fact check this (laughs) okay i was like wait a minute jen is this like recently no yeah (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) why have i not heard about this (laughs) it was it was a long time ago i mean this guy was just freaking insane i wonder if that's the basis for that um story what is it the 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 island dr something's island or whatever and he like tried to yeah um, there's some crazy movie Mm. uh interspecies yeah and so i feel like this guy was involved in the the mixing of like a zebra and a donkey kind of thing mm. and then there was like the mouse and the rat and they kind of did different things like that and everybody right. was like okay we're cool with that but a human and a chimpanzee like, trying to get no. an offspring especially without consent, consent. or like i mean if it's crazy anyway Jesus. like who would consent to that right first of all and it's just ugh, people that kind of experimentation turns my stomach 
Oh, yeah. So famous. go to IFL Science and then scroll down and you'll find that article. It That's pretty fucked up. Yep, it is. So there you go. Good times. Add to that. But anyway, <laughs> so I am later going to do a story on gorillas. Oh, nice. Yes. Are they going to be in the mist, Jen? They are going to be in the mist. I'm excited. I mean, probably everybody can guess what story that's going to be. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it'll always be a fun spin to even it. Even me, like sitting here, I'm like, I'm, what story are you going to talk about? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm good. Sure. Megan will yeah. be surprised. And you don't even know my story today. I, You know what? I don't know your st- I have no idea. And the only clue you gave me was so I could do the intro nautical nerds. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you did sharks last time. So I'm like, maybe it's shark related or maybe it's like, no, I don't know. We're moving on from sharks. Are we, this are is gonna, something totally different. Are you just going to tell me the story of Moby Dick? Are you just going to read me Moby Dick? Right we're just going to, I'm going to start chapter one. I just like lick my finger and turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, settle in this is our new audible channel (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that would be that would be fun right at all so we can get started on my story i'm stoked if you're ready i'm ready okay megan and everyone listening my story is about the bluebell which is a sailboat and a little girl named terry joe duperalt i got most of this, I had, there's some articles and there'll be some links, but the the majority of this is from the book entitled, it's a 2010 book entitled Alone Orphaned on the Ocean. Terry Joe was a co-author. The other one was psychologist Richard D. Logan. So is, they wrote it together. Wait, are you going to do a survival at sea story? Yes, I am. Oh my God, I love it. But it's got <laughs> lots, lots of stuff. So we're, it's almost, we're kind of like... It's a survival slash true crime. Those are the best. I know. I'm we're not it. a true crime podcast. We're not. Listen, we're not. We We'd, love them. I, I did a whole true crime just because I love it and I just wanted yeah. to dabble. But We're dabblers. We're dabblers. We're going back to 1961. Cool. Cool. There's this really awesome family from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Cheese. Cheese and Cheese Packers and, and all that all stuff. Mm-hmm. Arthur Duperall, he was a prominent optometrist. He was a World War II veteran. So he had served um, overseas in the Pacific. Oh. He was just like kind of excelled at everything. He was really into working out. He Because when he went to join the military, so he was going to school and he dropped or he quit school to go join the war effort. So mm-hmm. he joined... I. I want to say he was in the Air Force, but it's, if, listen to the book. It's on Audible, and I listened to it. He was really into fitness, and he was really into going to the YMCA. Oh, hey, the YMCA. Which Megan has. She worked with the YMCA for a while, so. Yeah, like six years. Yep. After the war, he married um, this really beautiful, like stunningly beautiful woman named Jean. She had her own friends and her own life, which was kind of different back then. They together had, because, you know, it seems like back then the women kind of, everything happened through their husband. Sure, But she was very independent. She was a great golfer. Oh, And she was, they were both really active and a very active family. They had three kids. They had a son named Brian, who's the oldest, Mm -hmm. then Terry Joe, and then they had a little one, Renee. Oh, no, sorry. The dad was in the Navy. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Because he was in the Navy. Sorry. This kind of leads to all this because he was into sailing. He was into going on boats and he, they lived right close to Lake Michigan. 
And so he had this dream of going and sailing around the world. And they always talked about it. And they were like, we're, you know, one of these days, we're going to take the kids and we're going to go, we're going to sail around the world. And it's going to be amazing. And they really wanted their kids to experience nature and experience outdoors and Mm. see different places and different cultures. They were a really, really amazing family Family. and really great parents. So they very involved in the, in the book it talks about how when the kids would get sick the dad would always like come home from work and make them tea and really care for them when they had the flu or any issue like he was he was a really great dad and the mom was very involved in their lives so it's very sweet yeah i love hearing about good families because it seems like we always hear about the messed up ones right but, yeah but, but this one was it was great and i feel like when i was sick growing up my mom was like I got to go to work. Call me if you, you know, are going to die. Yeah. Oh, same. Yeah. <laughs> Just heat up some soup. Uh-huh. It's in the can upstairs. Yeah. I got to go. I know. Same. Well, they had to work. So yeah, it was that was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing. Relatch key kids. They had this dream of sailing around the world. So finally, one day he's like, this is we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So he took a sabbatical off work. He took a year off. Right. And they wanted to go. Um, but he wasn't actually very adept at sailing or, you know, he hadn't actually done it. The plan was that they were going to go to Florida and it was going to, they were going to be gone throughout the winter. Okay. So, because Wisconsin winter, they're like, we're out. (laughs) They decided to go to Florida, hire a boat and a captain to take them. And and while they were doing it, they were going to take a week long trip to the Bahamas and back. And that was going to be their time to, that he would learn like him and his wife, And even the kids, they would learn how to work on the sailboat and they would learn how to sail. This is kind of reminding me of that movie, Captain Ron. I know. I don't think I ever watched that because it just looked too (laughs) stupid. stupid. Kurt Russell is like this real kind of random guy takes. And it was kind of the same deal. Like the dad. But it has that actor that's really silly from like the 80s. Does it? I can't. The only person I can remember it, it from that movie is Kurt Russell, Captain Ron. Oh, I can't remember anyone else. Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie from that movie. No, it's it's you're probably right. I mean, there was like a dad and there was like a lot of random stuff that went on. For some reason, I'm thinking maybe it was John Lithgow. But that's that. I don't. Well, I like John Lithgow. Well, yeah, he's awesome. Harry and the Hendersons. Greatest uh, movie. Yeah. And uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, my God. It's so great when he's on the plane. (laughs) and the things on the Oh, it's a favorite. Anyway, so they went to Florida. Mm -hmm. And during this time, yeah, he was going to he was going to learn how to sail the boat so then they were going to get another boat and do their own thing so this was kind of like a trip but also training like try it out we'll see how it goes yes so they went to fort lauderdale florida and they rented the bluebell so this was a two-masted sailboat uh it's really beautiful it was built in 1926 actually in wisconsin which was kind of random that's random kind of there was that connection yeah and there was an owner of the boat and he so they rented it from him and then they ended up hiring this former air force fighter pilot and also experienced sailor and his name was julian harvey julian harvey yep and my true crime mind is like who is just oh my god i'm so excited okay just wait Okay, okay, okay He was going to captain it, the ship for them and train and train them how to, mm-hmm. you know, work on a sailboat. Um, and he also brought along Harvey, uh, mm-hmm. Julian Harvey brought along his wife, Danae. And this was his um, sixth wife, just so you know. Oh. She was going to come along and help out and also prepare the food and all that stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Do the- she was going to make the ordivers. Ordivers. the ovaries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those things <laughs> because it was the 60s right so it's just like 
cocktails. They're and, all like, wearing like white cocktail weenies, white pants, and like the yeah. sweater, and they're all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, because they were a cool family, so yeah. I imagine they were much cooler. Than they were that. cooler than that. Yeah, I don't know if there were any hors d'oeuvres or what. It seemed like they just ate regular food. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so on the morning of Wednesday, November eighth, nineteen sixty-one. That's my mom's birthday. Oh. Interesting. Well, all right, Liz. The Duperals say they boarded. They were super excited. They took off to head towards the Bahamas. I mean, what a fun trip as a kid. Dude. So at this time, the kids were, so Brian, the oldest, was 14, Terry Joe was 11, Mm -hmm. and Renee was seven. They left. They were heading out. There's 700 islands in the Bahamas archipelago, and it's like 100,000 square miles it's really beautiful. There's mm-hmm. a lot of places to go see. So they began their their family adventure. So there was about four days that they kind of stopped. They stopped in this tiny island chain called, I think it's Bimini. B-I-M-I-N-I. Bimini. That sounds... Bimini. Yeah. And it's the farthest east to Sandy Point, which is a village on the southwestern tip of another island called Great... Abaco. I think that's how you say it. I looked it up. I believe you. So they went around. They collected shells. They snorkeled. They just had a great time on the beaches. And, mm-hmm. you know, the kids were having so much fun. On su- early Sunday, the they stopped off at this Sandy Point village and talked to the commissioner, this guy, um, Roderick W. Pinder. I don't know why that's important because it's not. But he re- he was, um, you know, it because later he attested to this. But okay. um, they went to fill out forms before leaving and heading back to the U.S. Okay. Because they basically left and they had to do all the back like and forth customs-y forms. forms. Customs, and yeah. And when they yeah. entered, they didn't have their forms. So everybody was cool because it's islands. And they were like, right, it's okay. Yeah. And then the father actually told him, this has been a once in a lifetime vacation and we're going to be back before Christmas. Because remember, they were going to go back and then get another, maybe that same boat or another boat and then do their own trip. That's like the equivalent of I'll be right back. Yes. So that night, Danae prepared her the dinner, mm-hmm. chicken cacciatore. Oh, I hate chicken cacciatore. I hate it so much. Why? I think because when I was younger, my dad would make it all the time. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't like it because it's, it's kind of oily and then, but it has like a lot of tomatoes in it. And I wasn't into tomatoes. They would do like stewed tomatoes. Oh, uh, I fucking hate it. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I think I would probably like it now. It's leading to something terrible. So there you <sighs> there go. go. So maybe, yeah, it should be hated. It's a harbinger of evil. <laughs> <laughs> so she made that chicken, disgusting chicken cacciatore and salad. Um, but this was going to be the last meal ever served on the Bluebell, Megan. And this is the point in the episode where everything goes from like regular color. Yes. To like negative. <laughs> Da-dum. Da-dum. <laughs> so around 9 p.m., Terry Joe went below deck into the sleeping quarters. Mm-hmm. And in the in the book, if you listen to it or read it or whatever, it talks all about the Bluebell and kind of how there's like different sleeping quarters. And of course, there's like the galley and the head. Do you know all this? Sure, sure. Yeah. You know all that? Like it's the like head kitchen, is the bathroom, bath- the yeah, galley. Yeah, yeah. I learned all this because my grandparent, my grandpa was in the Navy and they mm-hmm. had a houseboat and I grew up on with them on the houseboat on, during the summers. And he called everything like the head. And, the thing, yeah. I only remember the head because people say hit the head. I got to go hit the head. Yeah. We got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And anybody who sails or is on boats <laughs> or in the Navy, they know all this stuff, but... 
Yeah. Listen, Jen, I'm a professional yachter. <laughs> I know all of these terms. Nothing. So she went down and normally Renee would go with her. But that night they wanted they had already told her that the mom and the dad were going to stay up top and they were going to kind of drive, drive. They were going <laughs> to sail the boat yeah. all night because they were kind of getting to where they're like, we're going to need to do this. And so we're going to mm-hmm. stay up. And Renee wanted to stay with them. And it's cute because she had on her life jacket. And I remember that was the other thing is my grandparents always made me wear a life jacket when I was small, no matter what, as soon as we hit like the docks Mm -hmm. and around the boats. And I hated it so much, but it was like safety, you know? Wait, did she sleep in the life jacket? She was just, because since she was up on top deck, they wanted her to have it. So I don't know if she was going to stay all night, but I think she just wanted to stay with the parents because it was fun. And it's something my kids would be like, I'm going to stay with you. And I'd be like, you have to wear your life jacket. Fine. You know, and I right. would sleep in it. And like two, two seconds later, they're just like asleep head. But the, head in the lulling. life jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they stayed on the deck in the cockpit, which is, you know, where they steer it, drive yeah, it, yeah, yeah. all that. I keep saying drive it. <laughs> you don't drive. Jen, you don't drive a sailboat. Listen, you sail it, Jen. You sail it. No, there's another word for it. You, uh... Captain it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, there's another word. Somebody's screaming it at me right, right now. What's it called when you drive a boat? Motor it? We should know this. We live on islands and... <laughs> All right. Listen. Okay. So Terry Joe is like asleep, okay? Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, she hears her brother screaming, help, daddy, help. And she heard some like brief running and like stomping noises. And she just laid there like, oh, God. You know, I mean, she's 11. Right. She's like scared shitless. Terror. She was shaking. She was, yeah, terrified. And after about five minutes, it was kind of quiet. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go up. So she kind of crept up out of her cabin and went out. And she saw her mother and her brother laying in a pool of blood in the main cabin, which is where like they ate and stuff like that. Right. So it was kind of like a kitchen dining room. And and then in the evening, it converted to a sleeping area. So I don't know if like that, maybe the brother would sleep there or something. Mm -hmm. She knew instantly they were dead. I mean, they just were lifeless in a pool of blood. She's 11. She was like, oh my God, my mom. Jesus. She climbed the stairs and stuck her head out the hatch like to look on deck. And she saw more blood um, on the starboard side of the cockpit. Uh Uh-huh. So starboard and port. Is that left? Whatever. It doesn't, but anyway. One or the other. And she thought she saw a knife. And when she climbed on the deck and she looked towards the front of the boat, she saw Captain Harvey and he lunged at her and shoved her back down the stairs and screamed at her, get back down there. He kind of growled it and she remembers seeing like his face was like contorted and one of his eyes, it's really creepy when they talk about it, because I think this is a thing we'll find out later for this guy, that mm-hmm. his eye kind of like lolls around all crazy, like one of them. He's like a crazy eye? He's <laughs> like a crazy <laughs> eye. <It's> like, <laughs> when he's like, when he loses his shit. And she was just like, ah, you know, so she's totally like, can you imagine at 11 years old? She goes down. She tr- she tries not to look at her mother and her brother's bodies. Yeah. She's just like, she goes back down to the sleeping quarters, crawls back in her bunk, and is just freaking out. And then she hears water sloshing and smells like something oily. Like a gasoline? Like oil, like maybe engine oil. Okay. And it's starting to come into her cabin, and the floor is starting to fill with water. Nope. And that's when she realized the boat's going. The down. boat was sinking, but she was still. She was so scared to move. She's like, "Well, here I can drown in this water, or I've got crazy eye up there, mm-hmm. like who just obviously murdered 
my mom and my brother. Yeah. She doesn't know where her dad is or or her her little sister. Yeah. She knows nothing. Then she sees the captain's silhouette at the cabin doorway and he has something in his hands and she thought it might have been her brother's gun. He brought a rifle. So her brother, like 14, he brought, it's the 60s. Sure, sure. Because they want to shoot some sharks, he says. I don't think they did, but it was like, you know, a 14 year old. I'm going to go shoot a, I'm going to shoot a shark. We're going, I'm going on a ship. I'm going to go shoot some sharks. I'm such a man. Because they need to die. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. She, she can see the water rising. The captain turned back and he, so she saw him, but then he walked out. And then she heard him climb back up the stairs to the upper deck. And so the water keeps coming up. It's coming up to her mattress and starting to go over her mattress. And she knew she's like, I got to get out of here. Right? Yeah. She it's like waist deep at this point. So she goes up the stairs, climbs to the top again. And that's when um, she can see like because the ship had like a little dinghy and a rubber life raft, mm-hmm. of course. And they were already she could hear like this banging noise. And she realized they were already on the side of the boat, but just held, you know, with a with rope. The rope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she called out to the crazy eye captain, Captain Crazy Eye. <laughs> and she was like, is the ship sinking? And he's like, yes, came up to her and he handed her the rope to the dinghy and he's like telling her to hold it but she was just so scared and she's so much in so much shock she like let go of the rope and he's just like holy shit so he jumps into the water to get the dinghy because it's Uh like about to and this saved her life him jumping into the water jumping into the water so it started so as it drifted away he jumped in and she watched him go swim to it and then they were he was gone he he jumped to the dinghy and that's it and she's there alone she th- well, she doesn't know where her dad is on a sh- on a sinking ship on a sinking sailboat. Yes, yeah. She had remembered because she's super smart little kid mm-hmm. that there was this little. It's like a cork life float. It was. It's like white and it has like netting in between. It's like a big square and it's something you would throw out in the water to somebody. And we're talking the '60s, so I don't know right. if we're that familiar, but imagine like those round ones. But this mm-hmm. one was. It was kind of big and rectangle shape and had netting. Cool. And it's something you would just throw to somebody on the side if they and they could grab onto it and you could pull them in kind right, of thing. Right. Okay. She remembered where it was in the main cabin, which was now just barely above water. So she went down, she went to this, grabbed this float, she untied it. And just as it c- came free, the boat was like the boat deck Full on. sank. Oh, Jesus. And it actually, at a point, it like snagged and started pulling it down with the boat. No. And for a minute, she was just like, well, that's it. I mean, this thing's going down. But somehow it came free. Oh, my God. And she clambered onto it. Remember, it's just like a square with netting in the middle. So it's not even like... It's not protective from the elements. No, it's nothing. There's not... It's just like... And it's cork, right? This is not... It's meant to be like, throw it to somebody and pull them in kind of thing. Right. So there she is in the dark because the lights went out on the ship went down. She's... It's nighttime. It's the middle of the night. She's holding onto this thing and she doesn't know where Crazy Eye is. Crazy Eye or her dad or her sister or the wife. Where's the wife? Or the wife. Yeah. She's not seen them. She doesn't know. Oh, my God. She has no water, no food. She's wearing like these little pink corduroy little pants and a little white shirt, like an 11-year-old. 
Yeah. She no shoes. Nothing. She's nothing. She's just got out, woke up and she just this happened. She said the moon had the moon had already set, so it was just like pitch black. And there was like clouds. I mean it was just not it was she was just in the dark. She was basically just, you know, floating there. She's cold. She's shivering. And all she could think about is like, where's my dad? Yeah. Because her dad had always been there for her. She was mm-hmm. sick or needed anything. Like he was he's the one. And so the whole time she just kept thinking, My dad's gonna find me right that's what a kid would think an 11 year old she makes it through the night the next morning it was super sunny right she's like in the bahamas no shade no shade there's no islands there's no nothing she's in the ocean just floating she knew that it was going to be like she was in trouble it got to like you know temperatures in the that you know it's like 85 degrees she has no protection and she's like really blonde like that white blonde kind of kid you know that yeah, <laughs> there's this and she's on this flimsy little float and her legs were exposed. And she remembers and she talked about the parrotfish kept pecking at her like feet, anything that would hang. Because remember, and she was trying to sit in the netting. Yeah, but they would peck at her and she knew about sharks and knew about things. And that's yeah. when, you know, she was it was scary as hell. Wor- worrisome worrisome and plus the netting had started in some places to kind of come apart because you're well, it's not, not made to, for it's, no it's not a boat yeah no you know she remembers feeling like her mouth got drier and drier she had no water she's just floating in the ocean in the heat because that happened remember sunday night in the middle of the night so maybe early monday morning mm-hmm. monday went by on tuesday there was a little red plane that was circling around overhead and she watched it she waved at it she took her blouse and like waved it around, but she's on a white float wearing a white shirt with like this blonde hair. And she basically looks like a white cap. Yeah. In the ocean. Yeah, for sure. There's no way you would be able to tell. And she said at one point it dived in her direction and she waved frantically. Like she was like, it's coming, but it just passed directly over her. It's a, It kind of reminds me of the first episode when we talked about Julianne Cope, where yeah. she was like, it's the same. We yeah. can say it where you're like, <laughs> and they <laughs> and they just yeah it oh, just man. the angle and everything about it was just you know they just couldn't see her in this area there are a lot of ships that pass by mm-hmm. and any of them you know would have seen her but they were like far away you know like miles away and right. they did they wouldn't spot her because it's like i said she just looks like a white cap and two she's like on the surface of the ocean right you know i i just imagine the waves are probably very large. Big waves. She's riding big swells. Mm-hmm. And this is in, um, I'm not familiar with this area at all, but it's in the Northwest uh, Providence Channel. Okay. The way that it was drifting, it was drifting north with the Gulf Stream, basically was carrying her towards the Atlantic to the British Isles. And that would be no good. She just, just goes to Britain. <laughs> 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 She's like, all right, we'll just follow this. It's cool. It basically was taking her into an area where no one will ever find her. Yeah, she'll just be gone. Like where she's at at that point, she's still somewhere where there's enough boats. Like, yeah, traffic Mm -hmm. going between Florida and the Bahamas that there's a chance that she might be spotted. But But the ocean is like, it's cool. I'm going to take you over here where no one will find you. Yes, exactly. We're going to pull you way out there. On that afternoon, she saw some shapes in the water and she was super scared because she was like, oh my God. So she, it's funny. And so not funny, but in the book, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that she at that age 
knew even when the parrotfish kept biting her and she was getting mad, she knew not to splash around or make a lot of commotion because it might draw in sharks. She had that like knowledge. Yeah, she had that knowledge or that instinct to understand Mm -hmm. that I need to keep still. I need to try and keep my feet and my limbs out of the water. And I need to just, you know, can you imagine just floating there? You're 11 year old because we have kids about that eight years is 11. I have a nine, almost 10 year old. I just can't imagine. Out of the three of our children, I think your five-year-old would be the most able to survive a situation like this. <laughs> well, she's definitely, I mean, I feel like my nine-year-old. She'd be, yeah. She's she's, she's tough. pretty. She's pretty tough. Yeah. But I, I think that like your five-year-old has like a level of cunning that yes. our two older kids just don't <laughs> yeah, she's, have. She's very like, she pays she, attention to detail. All the things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's very... Yeah, well, I would hope that all of them would I, make it and be as strong as this girl because right. just floating in the ocean alone after mm-hmm. seeing what she just saw and, you know, and it's just, I can't imagine. Just the sadness that she would be feeling, the shock and sadness of seeing her mom and brother dead. Like, yes. I mean, just that in and of itself. God. So there she is floating. She sees these shadows mm-hmm. beneath her and she's getting really scared. She's staying very still and realizes that they were porpoises. I was going to say, are they dolphins, Jen? Well, they're <laughs> porpoises. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they stared up her with these large, dark eyes. And actually, some other people were saying that they might have been pilot whales. Oh, okay. But I'm sticking with that they're porpoises mm-hmm. because they're so cool. And yeah. you always see them. You know, well, we see dolphins out here a lot, but yeah. um, she felt really comforted by their whooshing sounds. And when they would come to the surface and breathe, it's like they were like, we're here with you. We got you. You can do this. They're like little guardian angels. And she actually said a little prayer of thanks to God for sending them because they stayed with her for hours. Because we're, we like to talk about nature, I'm going to segue this into talking about porpoises for a minute. I love it. Because I feel like I don't even know that much about porpoises. I do not. I'm going to tell you real quick. So we're just going to, we're going to pause on Terry Joe for a minute. She's floating. The porpoises are bringing her some feeling of comfort, comfort and security and being there. And so porpoises are um, a group of aquatic marine mammals similar to the dolphin however they're more closely related to narwhals which are the unicorns of the ocean (laughs) and i love narwhals (laughs) yeah and belugas so they're more they're closely related to them than they are to true dolphins okay so dolphins tend to have those elongated beaks cone-shaped teeth while porpoises have smaller mouths and spade-shaped teeth generally speaking dolphins bodies are leaner and porpoises are more portly portly They're just stocky, Megan. Come on. They're just, they have more muscle. (laughs) So dolphins are also more talkative. You know, they're always chatting it up and porpoises are a little more chill. They're not so talkative. Porpoises don't commit like heinous rape things, do they? Like dolphins. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? Oh my God, Jen. Have you never heard about dolphin rape? No. Is this like for the episode from The Simpsons when all the dolphins (laughs) came up and were like murdering everybody? (laughs) such a it's, great episode yeah there are like two ocean animals that i have more fear of than like an orca or a tiger shark i mean i just but like dolphins and sea otters they do some crazy shit are you just making is this a dream you had is making... this one of your fever dreams <laughs> where i slept for like 14 hours and i was like oh my god Jen. she sleeps more in one night than i do in three days and then she's like i had this crazy dream i'm like well because you're not supposed to sleep 14 hours <laughs> 
I think I'm you need to. You. I think you need to Google that. One hundred percent. You need to talk to the Google, <laughs> and then need we to. need to get back to that because I've never <laughs> heard of dolphins Dolphin attempting. Rape. I don't think on humans. Okay, but on each other well all kinds of animals do that but i don't know if they consider it rape well i think it's because maybe well i think it's just because dolphins are like you know i I watched flipper a lot Uh uh and it's like oh dolphins are so cute right but really yeah because in the wild things are crazy things are crazy but but that's okay you should see my ducks oh my god that's well no i have seen your ducks i don't feel like there's a lot of consent there (laughs) but Anyway, yeah. Well, we'll we'll look into that more. I don't want to <laughs> accuse dolphins of anything that heinous. I love them. I cho- I choose mm-hmm. not to think of them that way. All right. So going back to Terry Joe, Tuesday night rolls around. It's freaking dark. It's scary. She's cold, but at least it's not blazing heat. Right. right. The float that she's on is like riding these waves. I imagine that I would also be puking and seasick because I'm okay like on a boat that's moving. But once you're just sitting in that like riding those waves, oh, she had this dream that she was in an airplane in the cockpit looking down at the ocean. And the crazy thing is that she has never been in a plane Oh, weird. Yeah. And she dreamt that the airliner was like coming in for a landing. It was just kind of like a weird thing for her to... It's like almost she was in the heads of the people who were flying that she had seen. And it was, you know, she was kind of having this like... Out of body hallucinating. Yeah, out of body dreams. And in the dream, she also saw her father. He was seated peacefully with a glass of red wine, which I love that. I feel like I would be doing the same thing. And although she never in her life had tasted wine, because she was 11, mm-hmm. she was like, that's what I need right now. <laughs> she said it looked refreshing, and it's just what she needed. Totally. <laughs> we we get that. We get Yeah, got that. And also, like, she couldn't eat anything, right? Because right. she couldn't catch. She had nothing to catch anything. You know, I feel like a lot of people that get stranded, sometimes they might have some way or provisions of catching some like fish finagle or, something yeah but she's yeah. just this little kid so she hears her father calling out to her come on terry joe we're leaving and then here comes wednesday the next oh, day man. it's sunny it's hot and it got hot real quick it was burning her eyes her lips were burnt i mean her skin was just burned she ached all over um she was her lips like i said were chapped red swollen uh-huh. she was really struggling and she was starting to like i mean she already felt bad but it's just getting much much worse her little float the webbing on the inside was like mm-hmm. starting to break these hallucinations kept coming like i think like a mirage <laughs> like she would think she saw <laughs> an ocean yeah but and she would try to paddle to it but then it was gone and then eventually she was just unconscious you know whenever you're in situation not when you're in situation but when people are in these survival situations uh unconsciousness seems like a gift yeah exactly <laughs> like thank you body for doing that yeah mid-morning on her fourth day no alone on a raft she opened her eyes because she felt like this loom of this shadow coming over her and and it was rumbling and she could feel it in the water and it was like rumbling almost like in her body and she didn't know exactly what it was but it was a vessel and she looked up and she saw heads and arms you know like heads and these people waving at her yes and heard she could faintly hear like voices shouting to her and then finally she just felt herself being lifted the relief i know like she was she was about she wasn't going to be able to make it much longer no 
she was rescued. Yay! And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but let's go the, back to Captain Crazy Eye. Yeah. When Julian Harvey was hired as the skipper of the Bluebell, mm-hmm. nobody really knew much about him. Mm-hmm. Obviously. I mean, you don't just get Crazy Eye in like a night, you know, like... That develops over time. That de- From something in childhood. There's a build happening there. <laughs> So he was, because he was 44 years old, um, mm-hmm. like I said, a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. And his wife at the time, Mary Dean, or sorry, Mary Denae mm-hmm. Jordan, she was an aspiring writer and she was a former TWA flight attendant. What, what? Can I bring you a drink or a pillow? Cigar, cigarette, cigarillos? <laughs> yeah, back then people were all smoking on planes. For sure. The day after the Bluebell went down, the lookout on a Puerto Rico-bound oil tanker spotted a small wooden dinghy floating in the middle of the ocean at the Northwest Providence Channel. And when the captain pulled closer, the man in the dinghy was like, my name is Julian Harvey. I'm the master of the Bluebell, which I think is weird. I guess they used to say they're master of a ship. Can you just say captain? Right? That's yeah. weird. He was rescued. But remember how I said that he had a dinghy and then there was a float attached to it? Yes. In the float was the body of her little sister, Renee. No. Yes. Not alive. So they brought them all in. The next day, they go to talk to him because he was only out for one day. They caught him or they picked him up after the first day. Right. Well, because he's in a he's in a little boat that he can steer. He can steer it. And it even I feel like it had an engine, but he wasn't able to get it in time because Terry Joe let go of the rope <laughs> and i'll talk to i'll speak to that later why he handed her the rope what's the name of the ship that picked him up it just says that it was a it was an oil tanker i don't have the name of it she didn't get picked up by the same ship did she nope okay no because this is day one okay so we went through her experience for four mm-hmm. days and yeah. now we're back to, to day one yeah yeah crazy eye. they they picked him up they took him back to florida and the coast guard in miami started to interview they're like what the hell happened here yeah why are you floating out here with this poor little girl he says that he was the sole survivor of a terrible accident he told them in the middle of the night there was a sudden squall like a little storm lies it damaged a sailboat and his wife danae and the duperalts were all injured when the mass and the rigging collapsed and then he said that the gas lines in the engine room ruptured and the ship caught fire as it slowly sank And so he was saying that he managed to launch the dinghy and the raft and dive overboard, but the the tangled rigging and whatever, everybody else was trapped and they couldn't get off. How did he get the little girl? We'll get there. Everybody who heard the story was like, that's that's off. That's weird. That seems like a lot of really weird shit to happen in one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like all this stuff happened at the same time. That's strange right he says that the little girl had the life jacket on and he found her like floating and he just grabbed her and put her in the dinghy but everybody else went down with the ship lies some of the crew members of the ship the oil tanker that picked him up yeah they thought they found him like far too calm and collected and maybe the eye crazy eye like calmed down a little bit (laughs) and they they were like he's he doesn't and i and i think like you know some people can when some people are in shock i think back then probably they just always went off how somebody acted after something crazy happened right but i mean people handle shock differently so right just throw that out there like they like if women were not screaming or crying or super upset or like hysterical then then they're not in shock yeah it takes me a little while yeah, it's when a process. crazy shit happens, I'm, usually I'm like, all right, all right, cool. Yeah, no, that seems fine. Everything's fine. 
Right. And then like a month later, I'm like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. It hits you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like that too. I spend a lot of time processing, which makes me really, I don't say much or do much. I'm just very calm till I can work it out. Right. Anyway, so they, but they were like, he was way too calm and collected for someone who just lost this entire family and his wife and nearly escaped death, especially that he's the captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the Bluebell, this guy, Harold Pegg, was like, that did not, he didn't believe it from day one. He's like, it's the, the fact that the mast would fail is, in his words, preposterous. Like that would never happen. He's like, listen. He's like, we just had it inspected. Everything was looked at and everything was like top notch. There's just no way that that could have happened. So another friend, old friend of Harvey's, uh, Julian Harvey's was this guy, James Boozer. <laughs> he had, he heard multiple varying iterations of Harvey's, of his story. And he would talk to him about it. And he would always mm-hmm. get different versions. versions of a story, which is always like. Telltale. Mm-hmm. Side note, I have a friend whose last name is Booze. That's so cool. I know. And anybody who knew Julian throughout his life were like, yeah, he's he's kind of shady. He's a shady dude. Julian Harvey was born in New York in 1917. His mother was like a dancer. His dad uh, left, his biological father left shortly after he was born. His mom married a vaudeville actor. Oh, that's fun. They actually were doing really well. Like mm-hmm. he kind of was spoiled, had everything. He, this guy took care of Julian. He had everything he needed. But when motion pictures, moving pictures came out, vaudeville went away Died, and they were yeah. instantly broke. And so he went to live with some other rich family, which I'm like, yeah. this guy's kind of spoiled. You know, he stayed with them and he went to boarding schools and he was fine. He wasn't like physically beaten right. or molested. No, or no he wasn't. Yeah. He's just a natural born sociopath and He's narcissist. A narcissist. Yeah. yeah, it just happens, I guess. You know, whatever. (laughs) And he was also very, very handsome. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah, he was super handsome, super charming when he didn't have the crazy eye. And he also had a stutter that he worked past. He was kind of skinny when he was young and he worked out and, you know, built up. And he was just like this really handsome guy. Mm -hmm. And he um, always was really into working out the rest of his life. Oh, okay. He was constantly like ripped and handsome. Improving his physical. Hence maybe the six wives. He joined the um, Air Force mm-hmm. and became a pilot. He During his time, he earned like 12 medals or decorations or whatever it is. Oh, wow. And he was, so definitely he was skilled and he served in the Korean War and he pulled off like really dangerous missions and flied the B-24 bombers and all that. But they noticed that he had some like even shady stuff back then. Like he mm. had ditched some missions due to engine failure that they're like, Hmm. that's suspect they kind of tend to like move him around occasionally in the military like maybe they do but then they said towards the end of his military career he kind of started to lose it like the stutter kind of came back oh he was having like could have been just from war and things but he was having a lot of like anxiety yeah Uh uh-huh and, you know, his nerves were shot, they say. Oh. Whatever. Right. That's when, when they're talking about PTSD, but they say it's like shell shock or whatever. they. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, the stutter came back in his facial tick, which led to crazy eye. Crazy eye. Facial yeah. Tick. <laughs> and then there were all the wives, right? Mary Denae was the sixth, like I said, and he kind of had this whole habit of marrying women since he was really young. And he, they he, he, it's like he would really like 
it was like a fast and furious kind of courtship, you know, like he would like just, you're the best, let's get married, let's do this, I love you so much. Narcissism, man. Yeah, and then maybe a year later or less than a year, he's like, I don't love you anymore, go away. You know, I think the military has like some things against that. I know that if you get divorced, like they're very much about solid families. Uh, Yeah, they are. They're very against infidelity. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, if they find something out, you're getting in trouble. Yeah. But he was known for this in the Air Force. So maybe this wasn't in the 50s, 40s, 50s. Right. This wasn't as, you know, like it strict. is now. Yeah. It's not so strict, but I'm, I'm not really sure. But he did divorce his wife. The wife. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I think it's his third wife. This lady named Joan. This is in 1949. He was with his wife, Joan, and his mother-in-law. And they were driving. It was this rainy night. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's in Florida. And they were driving um, back from a movie and they were going across this like a little wooden bridge and mm-hmm. somehow the car swerved on the bridge and it rolled and it went down like 20 feet into the water. But somehow he managed he... to dive out. Whether he said that he dove out onto like as the car was falling. Uh-huh. But some people say, well, his window was down. So maybe he swam out. But his wife and the mother-in-law drowned. They couldn't escape the car. And they thought it was really crazy. Like bystanders came like after it happened. He was just standing on the bridge and he kept talking about how badass he was. That he was able to dive out while it was roll- like going down the bridge. But his wife and mother-in-law And all these did? people came and were like just random people were like diving in the water trying to rescue them. And he wasn't doing he anything. He wasn't doing anything. He was just standing there. Everybody was just like, what a jackass. And why isn't he? It's like he keeps talking about how he got out of the car, but he's not talking about how he just lost his wife and mother-in-law. Yeah. Nor is he even lifting a finger to assist with any kind of rescue. Right. It was just really odd. Listen, Jen, if we were ever in an accident and I was able to somehow dive out of the car, I would immediately dive into the water to try and get you out. Thank you. As I would you. Because that's what people do. That's what you do. Shortly after her death, his wife's death, he cashed in on the life insurance oh. policy. <laughs> yes. It's like all those all those true crime red flags. Yep, yep, yep. 100%. Life insurance policy. Life insurance policy. It, it, I, I, I didn't see anywhere where they said how soon before the death he got the life insurance policy. Right, like the day before he's like signing yeah. the papers. <laughs> but pretty crazy way to get rid of them, right? Well, and he's standing on the bridge when they saw him, right? I mean, was he banged up? I don't know. I mean... I'd be interested to know. Like maybe he did something to them and then rolled the car off the side. Maybe. What if he like gave them something that they fell were asleep? Out? Yeah. Or, yeah. Cause he was so dri- they wouldn't was, escape. Was he driving? He was driving. How are you going to... You swerve and then yeah, it's like you tuck and roll i don't know i mean i'm assuming he's not wearing a seatbelt because seatbelts that's like why a big people thing were then. saying like they think that he actually went down with the car but swam out immediately but that's that's risky it's crazy what a coward the other thing is the bluebell was not the first boat that, that had been sunk oh with him, uh, as, a, with him yeah. as the captain mm. so twice before he had filed insurance claims for mm. destroyed <laughs> boats both cases were super suspicious but they just didn't have enough evidence so i mean they had to Give him the insurance money. Third time's a charm. So later, his friends would say that in the first wreck, he it seems like he had steered the boat into some sort of obstacle on purpose. And in the second, mm. had flat out admitted to setting the vessel on fire. Maybe okay. to his friends. I don't know. Oh, to his friends. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, though. Going to the insurance So basically, agent. he's a con artist. Right. And he has crazy eye. <laughs> 
so this, all of this, the Coast Guard didn't really know this. They would find out more and more as they investigated him. So they're still investigating him. They're three days after the rescue. He kept repeating pretty much the same story over and over, but kept calling him back in because there were these little holes. They're just like, but... Could you tell us that one more time? That just doesn't quite, we don't really get it. And one of them was like, the idea of the mast plunging straight through the deck of a boat, which he said was super unlikely. Because they're saying like it's plunged through and then that's how the fire started. Somehow the mast just went through, like it's just standing there. Like it went straight down. Yeah. And they're saying like when a mast will break in like a, from strong winds, it'll tilt. Right. Right. But he was like, no, it failed. Like it broke, it failed. Okay, I was to when you were explaining it earlier, I was thinking it just fell over. He's trying to say it fell over and it crushed into the boat. But yeah, what yeah, he's yeah, actually yeah. saying is as if some as giant if hand pushed were pushing it down. down. It seems like that's what he's saying. It's just weird. It was Poseidon. And so he had said that he had told Dr. Duperalt to steer the boat. But there were flames and there was wind. And he said that, the, that Arthur insisted to keep steering in the same direction, which was causing the flames to blow a certain way. But it just doesn't make sense. It, and especially that he was a Navy veteran. He would have known. He knew. And it just, nothing really made sense. There was also no one at this, There, I guess there was a lighthouse somewhat nearby uh-huh. on a little island. And nobody, I mean, they would have seen the fire. Flames, yeah. Yeah, and nobody saw it. Nor did he try to make it to the island after he found... Oh, he was close enough that he could have taken the dinghy to that island? Yes. So, oh, here's the thing. Sorry, I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh-huh. When they found him, he said that the little girl in the float was Terry Joe. Oh, no. Right? But it was actually seven-year-old Renee, the littlest one. And so they were like, why didn't you try to get to that little island right or, after? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to know about her autopsy. I'm just thinking about like, did yes, she have water in her lungs? And- yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about that. Okay, okay. And also the weirdest thing too was that at no point while he was drifting did he think to let any flares go. And he knew it. So they were with him in the dinghy. I was going to say, isn't there some kind of emergency? There is an emergency kit. Preparedness kit. <laughs> there is an emergency preparedness kit. And so he he could have like, they were first of all like, why didn't you let them go on the big ship when all this started right. happening? Yes. And he said he didn't know where they were and he couldn't find them. And then once he was on the dinghy, he also didn't let the flares go. I mean, later they're just like, well, he just didn't want to signal where he, the location and, you know, to yeah. call any attention to it. He wanted to get far enough away from it. That he'd be like, I don't know where we were. Right. In the long run, I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't really matter because while he was kind of on this day, you know, days into his testimony with the Coast Guard and these investigators, one of them ran in and were like, there's a survivor. <laughs> I want to, did they take a picture of his face Ugh. when he found out? Was he like, oh, fuck. I'm sure in his brain he was, but they said that they found her. So for, on four days, like by the fourth day. Yeah. So she, and I'll go back to that for a second. She had been found by this, um, it was a Greek freighter ship. And when they found her, it's the captain's name was Theo, but uh-huh. he was Nicholas Spakadakis. They called him Theo. So he was just like, he had been scanning the waters over the Northwest Providence Channel, like mm-hmm. you do as a ship captain. You're, yeah. you're, you know, you're constantly looking. And those guys that are experienced, they have a good eye for yeah. anything. And so he kept seeing like these white caps, you know, I mean, everything's white capping, but there was something that kept catching his eye because it wasn't, you know how a white cap will fold and go away? Yes. This wasn't. 
It, it was just, just kind of like up and back down. Bouncing around. Right. There's like hundreds of boats in the channel. Like he can see out and about because he's also yeah. got. But he that one little dot, like he couldn't. He couldn't figure out what it was. And he's like, maybe it's a piece of debris, but it, it's too small for a boat. But why? What is it? And why is it out here? Oh, my gosh. So he alerted to the captain. Oh, maybe he was not the captain. Maybe he was like a. Was he? Like, he was second officer. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. So he alerted to the captain and they went straight towards it. They're like, nice. we need to know what this is. Can you imagine? Most people would have just been like, eh, F it. Whatever. It's just Keep a going. piece of something. Yeah. It's like garbage out there yeah there's so much garbage in the oceans now so probably people but back then maybe it was a little better yeah <laughs> so, so oh, they pulled up along you know alongside it and they saw this little girl and she was oh, actually sitting God. up oh unconscious but sitting up unconscious but or maybe she may have been laying down which is in the picture she's sitting up and maybe that's when she woke up like came out oh, of it and sat like, up yeah yeah so there's a picture of her it was actually on life magazine it was a huge deal back then it we're gonna have it on our post it's like this story sounds so familiar and i swear i've seen that picture is you it you have it's famous she's famous for this when you unfortunately were s- when- not a thing you want to be famous for right but when you were saying that the like sh- the boat had pulled up next to her, mm-hmm. I was like, man, that reminds me of this. Yes, you'll see picture. it's it's just like a black and white photo. Right. So one of the crew members took that picture of her like squinting up, like looking up at them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was she was not doing like her body was basically shutting down at this point. Well, yeah, like she was kind of going in and out of consciousness. Like she was very confused. She could she couldn't really speak. They took once they got her. I mean, people, these men on the ship were like crying they were they just couldn't believe it like they just this little tiny girl yeah on this raft and they were trying to ask her questions like do where's your family and she was just shaking her head like no and she pointed down like they went down oh so finally she said the bluebell and said her name yeah she was taken to by helicopter to miami hospital that's when, you know, she went back there to recover. Mm-hmm. And so this was day four of Crazy Eyes in- interrogation. And when they told him that they had found this little girl, Terry Joe, his reaction was, oh, my God. <laughs> 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 That's exactly what he said. OMG, Because he was guys. in the middle of being interviewed by the Coast Guard. Yeah. And I'm sure his eye went all like. Do you have a picture of the Crazy Eye? I really wish you could. I mean, I'm sure they were watching his body language. And they said that after a few moments of regaining his composure, like, I'm so happy. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. He he was like, that's so great. And then he abruptly exited the room. <laughs> He's like, I got to go. And they were like, okay. The next day, they were like, we got to find him. We need to, because this is all like something's up they know now like these this something bad happened mm-hmm. and so they're like got the police they're like you need to go and you need to watch him don't let him go anywhere because we need to figure out what happened here because mm-hmm. terry joe's like in a coma i mean she's unconscious right so they can't talk to her yet but they know something's up because he said they all died the next day they found where he, he was staying at this place called the sandman motel and they it's in miami <laughs> i could just picture it in the 60s like the little pool and everybody's like yeah just like playing around the pool and yeah. being all like hanging out in Florida. So the so he was they found out he was staying at the Sandman Motel. Mm-hmm. And later the manager at the Sandman had called the police because the maid smelled something funny in the bathroom of room 17. <sighs> and they couldn't get the door open. So behind the door 
was the body of Julian Harvey, and he was covered in self-inflicted slash wounds. And let me just tell you. What? He got a razor. He slashed his ankles, his thighs, and his throat, and his wrists. And they said he slashed into his thighs to the bone. Yes. So he was laying there. He was completely drained out of blood. So he had drank some whiskey, which Uh I still, I don't even know how you can... With a razor. Just a razor. Yeah. A razor blade. A razor blade. They were just like, first, at first they were like, somebody murdered this guy. Because there's no way somebody can do this to To themselves. themselves. So they saw some blood on the bed and they think that he started to do it on the bed. But Uh it was like the blood was getting on the bed. And I don't know if he was just like, that's not cool. (laughs) He had actually left a $10 bill on the pillowcase to like, like, sorry for the mess. My bad. I mean, $10. So he went in the bathroom and not like laying in the bathtub. You know, like, right. Yeah. He just was on the floor. He had to slice. Imagine going through all that muscle to your bone of your thigh. Like he was like going to get the job done. They had never seen anything like this. I mean, the most I can say for him is that he had conviction. Maybe he was dedicated to his suicide. Super. Like he wanted to make sure the job got done. So he wrote (laughs) a friend to his, or I'm sorry, he wrote a note to his friend, James Boozer. Right, right. And he said, I'm a nervous wreck and just can't continue. I'm going out now. I guess I either don't like life or don't know what to do with it. The message also talked about the adoption of his second son, who I guess he liked more than the first one. I don't know. Probably because he had more contact with that one. Mm-hmm. And he asked that his body, first he said cremated and, bur- and buried at sea. And then he scratched it out and just said buried at sea. You know, that's weird. That's a weird suicide note. Like, I guess this is what's happening. I don't yeah. know. After about a week in the hospital, Terry Joe started coming out of the, her coma. She started becoming more conscious. She started feeling better. And the police were able to talk to her. Her story was so shocking, but it never deviated. And the Coast Guard and the investigators were like, that's what happened. This makes more sense. Yeah. So what they say they theorized happened is that remember that the her parents were going to do the nighttime sailing. Yeah, they were going to yeah. sail the boat. They were going to man the ship, <laughs> man the boat that night with her, her little sister. Mm-hmm. So they were probably up top doing that. Um, Julian Harvey, they believe, went to his cabin where his wife was and tried to murder her because he had recently before this taken out an insurance policy on her life for $20,000. And if it was an accident, like some sort of accident, he would get double that, which is a lot of money in today's... Like an accident at sea. Mm-hmm. So they think what happened is he went to the cabin mm-hmm. and he tried to stab her or murder her. And she put up a fight. And yeah. he actually had, when they saw him, he ha- they saw it was fingernail like scratches, scratches on his body. But he said it was from, you know, the accident or whatever. Yeah. And other people were like, no. Arthur heard this commotion. Sure. Went to see what was going on in the cabin. Yeah. He probably heard screaming or something. And when he went down, he was stabbed. No. And killed. Right. And then the wife also went and she tried to see what was going on. And somehow he had chased her maybe she was running down to the main cabin that kitchen Mm -hmm. area yeah and he killed her and that's when terry joe heard her brother shouting yeah dad because they didn't know that dad was already dead somewhere because he was probably dead with the wife 
already in the cat you know the other their cabin right it's wild oh so later remember uh, so remember earlier when she said that she had seen a knife yes with all the blood on the deck and so probably that's how he was killing people we never knew what happened with renee like they couldn't figure it out mm-hmm. but they said that probably renee which she was she had drowned and when they did an autopsy it just showed she had drowned okay um they did see some bruising on her elbow but yeah. that could have just they don't like know falling overboard or something yeah or... so they're not sure did she drown and he got her from the water because she had her life jacket on and just used her to look like, like he tried his to, story yeah they look yeah. like he tried mm-hmm. what would be worse and what the family was worried about is that maybe she fell and hit her head like when the mother you know during the scuffle or whatever right and she was unconscious and that he took her and then drowned her later which is just terrible mm-hmm. but they can't really figure out what happened there was a one of the pictures or i think the people who rescued him on the oil tanker thought they saw bruising on her forehead but it could mm-hmm. have been from anything yeah anything so so they're not really sure what happened with that but it's just sad it's that amazing family was just collateral damage in his attempt to get insurance insurance money yes. on his wife that's fucked up so what he was they think what he was hoping to do was murder his wife mm-hmm. throw her overboard go back up join them up top mm-hmm. do or just sail in the like, boat oh my God, and then the wife? next morning go down and be like oh, i don't know where she is she must have fallen overboard oh my god yeah I, that was that was his plan they they are pretty sure Terry Joe spent 11 days in the hospital and then she was fully recovered. Mm-hmm. At least her body was. Well, yeah. She went back to stay with family. So she went back to Green Bay to live with um, her dad's sister and their three cousins. Mm-hmm. When she was 12, she decided to change her name to Ter, like T-E-R-E. Oh. She didn't want to be known as Terry Joe anymore oh. because there was so much. So what happened? She went back with family. They mm. were really sweet to her. They were amazing they just took her in and made her feel at home but the one thing that people didn't do is they never allowed anybody to talk to her they protected her from the media because it was a media frenzy after everything and everybody knew about it and so i think because it was so tragic and they didn't want to hurt her and they didn't know what to do so they didn't do anything and they never talked about it oh no so So she she never got to get no work through that trauma Never did. It was almost 50 years later when she finally really started talking about it. Oh, wow. And that is the co-author in that book alone. Mm -hmm. And that's the psychologist that she talked to and really kind of worked through everything. And then the book kind of goes into her life and she had several like failed relationships. And a lot of it was that she was orphaned. Like everything was taken from her, like in a split second. Mm-hmm. And she tended to kind of fall like real hard and fast for people because she she kind of needed that. She there was wanted, like a void mm-hmm. and she never was able to actually grieve, work through it and kind of like really just talk about it. Yeah. She worked with that psychologist and then they did the book together. And she said that this is a quote from her. I always believed I was saved for a reason by telling the story. If it helps one person heal from a life tragedy, my journey will have been worth it. Another interesting thing is Terry Joe's ordeal or the, you know, sinking of the ship and finding her at sea. In 1962, the Coast Guard changed the color of all life rafts from white to bright orange. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, probably we shouldn't make these white. I don't know. <laughs> 
So yeah, it turns out that that just gets blended into the yeah, sea. Yeah, it turns out that was a really bad idea. <laughs> she had three kids. She, now she has grandkids. Uh, she went back to school. She was kind of back and forth. And she went back to school and got a degree to work in natural resources. Oh, cool. So she works. She I think she's retired now, but she worked with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources as a water management specialist. Oh, fun. And she said, maybe it's ironic. Or it's kind of ironic. Yeah. But maybe it's also fate that her life's mission is protecting bodies of water. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I know. It's really cool. <laughs> She's, she sounds really cool. Yeah. And in an interview with CBS, she said that she has a special bond with the water after the tragedy rather than a traumatic one. And she believes right. that water is life and it is soothing for me to be on the beach. I find I can think clearly, relax and feel closer to my family. Oh, the only thing she hates is dark water. Yeah. I don't, or like darkness yeah. in water. Right. Because it kind of brings back. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. The memory. In her book that uh, she co-authored, she wrote, What I want to stress to all who read this book is never give up. Always have hope and try to look on the bright side of things. Be positive. Be trusting. And try to go with the flow. Have compassion, give of yourself to those in need and be loving and kind. I believe that what you give comes back to you. That's very nice. She's she's cool. I mean, I think like we talk about in all these survival stories, mm -hmm. it takes a certain kind of person. Yeah. You know, it's like this kind of resilience, you know, and having like a calmness. And they said that that's just how she is. As a child, she was always wanted to go and play and like by herself and even would go in the woods and she was really into Tarzan and she thought that was really cool. I love it. And so she would like pretend Tarzan around outside of her house because they had like an acre. Her just her general demeanor was very calm and collected. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, probably what saved her. And the fact that she was just like a healthy young kid, her body was able to sustain that. A lot of people wondered why he this crazy eye, Captain Crazy Eye didn't try to kill her. Right. Like, why didn't he kill her? And so what they speculate is that, and also, why did he give her the line to, to hold, the, hold dinghy. the dinghy? They think that when he went down, remember he she saw his silhouette yes. at the cabin and then he went away and, she, and he was holding the rifle. Yeah. But what they think is that when he saw her there with the water rising, he was like, she'll go down with the ship. Right. I'm not going to bother. Because none of this was supposed to happen. Like right. things went wildly out of control it's not like it was his plan to go and kill everybody he had a plan but it was he just wanted to get rid of his wife yeah and get the insurance money but he didn't plan to kill the whole family and mm -hmm. so i don't think it was in him to do that right and he probably didn't want to murder her sure so he's like but he just thought she'll go down but then when she came up he's like god damn it Okay, so he and so I think they think what he did was he gave her the rope so she would hold it and he was going to get something to kill her with. Right. But she let go of it. And then he had to make he, a decision which had, one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think he thought, whatever, she'll go down. There's no way this little kid is going to make it. No way. It's the middle of the ocean. It's not happening. And then she fucking made it. And she made it. That's just so amazing. That's the story of Terry Joe, or actually Ter. Her last name is Fassbender, F A S S. B-E-N-D-E-R. Like you, the actor, Michael is, Fassbender? Oh, I don't know. Is there oh, one? I don't. There is. Because her current husband, Fassbender. Cool. Who's a super cool guy.
And now I'd like to talk a little bit more about porpoises, if that's okay. Oh, I'm here for it. Yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of lost at sea stories Mm -hmm. where people find comfort in whether it's a porpoise or a dolphin or a sea turtle or whatever. I just, I think we need to give some credit where credit's due for helping her get through that little part because it meant a lot to her. It seems like kind of a fun, (laughs) that's not the right word, like this part of the story that was like relieving it was yeah it was kind of like a bright spot in a very horrific Mm -hmm. it's it was a nice moment for her and i think helped her get through it yeah so porpoises always have been and still are hunted in some countries they like do that drive hunting where they kind of corral them corral them and then Mm -hmm. yeah the bigger larger threat to porpoises and most things in the ocean are that they're caught in gill nets. Mm-hmm. Those freaking nets catch everything and right. they just murder them, especially mammals that need to breathe. Yes. And sea turtles and um, or anything that gets caught in them and just dragged down and held down. And also there, there's marine pollution, there's heavy metals. There's all kinds of things happening in the ocean. All the stuff. All the bad stuff. There's one called a vaquita. It became almost extinct in the 20th century because of the gill nets. Mm -hmm. Um, There's probably only, they predict that there's fewer than 100 individuals left. Wow. Because these marine mammals travel distances, it's really hard to study them. There's, There's not a lot, but they are all listed as threatened or endangered. Some are kept in captivity and trained for research, education, or public display. There's a dichotomy of feelings. A lot of feelings. Associated with that. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I chose the organization for this episode to be a Porpoise Conservation Society. It's a nonprofit that is registered in British Columbia, Canada. Nice. And they're at porpoise.org. That's easy. So they... If you know how to spell porpoise. Yes. P-O-R. P-O-I-S-E. That was great. (laughs) There you go. Dot org. So the Porpoise Conservation Society, they focus on the world's uh, porpoise species. They want to be a global platform for discussion, education, and scientific research, conservation action, and community involvement. And they believe that the most effective way to be successful in porpoise conservation is through a concerted global effort. Yes, because the ocean is big. The ocean is very large. (laughs) It's very big and covers many places. So they, yeah, so their focus is on porpoises to ensure long-term survival in spite of increasing pressures being placed on the world's oceans. You can adopt a porpoise for $25. Hey. Not a real one, but like you probably like a little, you know, in theory. Just keep it in your bathtub. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) They'll send you one. (laughs) Here's your porpoise. $25. I mean, come on. That's not bad. Adopt a porpoise. You can go to their website. It's a symbolic adoption. I love it. And you're directly supporting research, education, and conservation efforts. That's great. What a nice organization. That is all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I did very much. And when we post this, it'll automatically pop up with the photos. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will recognize it. But I, Megan hasn't seen it because she didn't know what I was doing. Yes. But after this, I'll show you the pictures and you're going to be like, oh. Crazy. Yeah. But it is a crazy story. It's a little true crime mixed with some survival. Survival. Some ocean stuff. So with that, please make sure to check out our website. Wait a minute. You forgot something. Oh, shit. (laughs) So Megan. Oh, my God. No wonder you're getting all excited over there. (laughs) I totally forgot (laughs) to ask you what you're going to put in your emergency preparedness kit. Okay, Jen. So I I was thinking about this while you were telling this story. Okay. And I think definitely she would have benefited from like a fishing line. 
some kind of fishing line. Well, right, to catch fish. To catch fish. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I think the number one thing that would have helped her out would be chapstick. That, that you know, that black chapstick? I hate that My grandfather. But I think that's what they had that. in like 1961. Yeah, just some I'm chapstick. all about like Blistex, but not the smelly kind, just like the no smell right. kind. So that's what I think. Chapstick, a little fishing line. As so she could she... catch some of those parrotfish. Yeah, that those were biting been, her. Those would have been yummy. Yeah. They're yummy. Yeah. Well, some, yeah, as long as she didn't drop it. Well, yeah, that, we don't need that's more true. fishing line in the ocean. She would definitely not have dropped it. No, she wouldn't have. She would have been good about it. Yeah. So some fishing line and some chapstick. Fishing line and chapstick. Done. I feel like that's, pre- that's pretty good. You could just make it through your ocean survival story. Maybe an umbrella too, but that's asking for a lot. She really needed some sunscreen and an, or an umbrella or a hat, <laughs> a giant, like yeah. one of those big I, hats. I feel like those are like kind of obvious things, but yeah. the chapstick, you might forget to bring chapstick. I kind of have a chapstick addiction. You do. I know it. Well, at least I know that if I get lost at sea with you You'll, there'll be some chapstick <laughs> in my pocket for sure in your pocket. 100 yeah hey we all have our things it's true but oh okay, great i like it some chapstick but that one that is like chapstick yeah the one that says it's just like the black package like the old school yeah with the white cap and it's kind of pinkish colored but it doesn't color your lips i really pink. hate the smell of that <laughs> i love the smell of that chapstick because it really? reminds me of my grandfather because he always used that yeah, well, because he knows what's up because you got to wear chapstick. Mm-hmm, Can't mm-hmm. be going around with crusty lips all the time. <laughs> no. Come on. Say, I have a problem. <laughs> I think you have a problem with your crusty lips. Listen. Listen. I hydrate. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Cool. Thank you for uh, listening to our story. Yes. Please, if you enjoy our podcast, we would so much appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts podcast. mm-hmm. and subscribed. And then right. went down and just did a little quick uh, review. Rate and review. Yeah. yeah. Just real easy. And then you tell us about it. We'll send you a sticker. Oh, totally. Because we still have the contest going. We still have it going. Yeah. You still have a few more days to get in there and get your uh, submission in, get your sticker. But even if you don't get it on time, go ahead, rate and review and just send us a quick email and be like, hey, um, can I have a sticker? And we'll be like, for $10. <laughs> just we might kidding. Send you one. Just kidding. Go check it out. We also on our website, you'll see that we have some merch up. And mm-hmm. if you would like to support us further, we have a Patreon. That's right. You can become go and become a patron. A patron, yeah. And it's pretty fun. You'll get some merch from that or some discounts. Mm-hmm. Um, also a sticker and some other cool stuff. So go check it out. And if you feel so inclined to support us, we appreciate it so yeah. much. Absolutely. But you can also find us on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right. right, So I guess in the meantime, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.